Thank you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Chan. I am a pastor and I serve here on pastoral staff at Baby Glen as the M&M pastor, the pastor of multiplication and mobilization. Um, you can come to me afterwards looking for M&Ms. I don't guarantee that I have them. Um, they didn't give me a budget line for it, but we're working on it. It's good to be back. For those of you who, um, who don't know, I was uh, here at Bayview Glen, um, started my pastoral ministry at Bayview Glen on March the 1st in 2010, and I actually started this past March the 1st in 2017. Seven years have transpired, and for me, there's this sense that God has brought me on this journey and brought this season um, in seven years to completion in order to start a new season for ministry for myself and for our family. Um, love Bayview Glen. This is our home. I feel at home here this morning or this afternoon with you. But in order to prepare me for this next journey, this next part of our ministry, um, God did, a, did, some work in, did some work in me. Um, those of you who don't know, my wife and I, we spent 18 months in uh, the, United Emir- uh, the United Arab Emirates. And for 18 months, we were overseas um, serving God there. And while we were there, uh, God wrecked us in ways we didn't expect, um, wrecked us by allowing us to come face-to-face with ourselves, to come face-to-face with our sins, to come face-to-face with each other in ways where his desire was to sanctify us, to mold us, to refine us, to make us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And now, in retrospect, having come back, I see that that was all in preparation for this moment. We encountered Jesus in a new and fresh way, in a way that brought transformation into our lives. And so I stand before you this morning, a new man, a new pastor, And I want to bring you to an encounter that a woman had with Jesus in John chapter 4 as we continue with our series called Believe. So if you would uh, open up your Bibles or your apps or whatever way you desire to follow along with the Word of God with us this morning, I invite you to do that. You can take the Bible from the seat back in front of you. And if you would turn to John chapter 4 with me, and if you could put your finger there. We're actually not going to read the whole thing today. I'm actually going to just zero in on one verse And the verse is this, verse six. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus is sitting at a well. I don't know how much more boring a verse of the Bible could be. I know some of you might be sitting there scratching your head thinking, what is this guy on? Why is he preaching from this when he has so much to choose from? Surely there is more that can be said than just Jesus sitting at a well. Maybe for yourselves even, as you go about reading the word, you might have even just glossed right over this verse. You might have paid no attention to it to get to the juicy parts of scripture. I think we do that more often than we would like to admit. When we read the scripture, we tend to read it looking for something that we could apply to our life, looking for something that we could use so we could be a better Christian, be a better person to live more for God, which is fine. But sometimes God wants us to just slow down. 
He wants us to dial it back. He wants us to see that there is more than meets the eye here because this isn't just a preface. This isn't just an introduction. These aren't just toss away details. This isn't just a setting of the stage. It, it is those things, but there is more because it hints at something. It intimates at something. St. Augustine, when he preached on this passage, he stopped at this verse, verse six, and what he said was, now begin the mysteries. Now begin the mysteries. And so let's enter into this text together. Let's see what's happening. Let's see what God is saying through these words. Jesus is weary. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's tired up by this journey that has brought him to this well. And so he sits down and he waits. It's about midday. The sun is at its highest in the sky. It is beating down on him. And he is just tuckered out. And Jesus sits there, exhausted. This ought to capture our attention. This ought to beckon us to knock and investigate further. What is going on in this scene? What does God have in store? And so I invite you today to knock and to seek and to investigate with me. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to be in your house. We're grateful to be worshiping together in this way, to be hearing from your word. Father, would you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us? God, um, strengthen me through this third service as I already am feeling a little weary and run down myself. But Father, would you, um, would you take these words, allow your word to go forth and not return to you void. Open our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, our ears and our eyes to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a profoundly moving image of Jesus. We meet a weary Jesus at the edge of this well, a weary and wayfaring Jesus. It is moving because this is where we meet Jesus most fully in his humanity, in a sense. Jesus sits at this well, and he's exhausted. He is tired. He is worn out. He is like you. He is like me. In his humanity, in his flesh, he can become exhausted. He can, he can become tired. The things that come at him in life tire him out. The same way the things that come at you in life tire you out. Jesus is sitting at the edge of this well and he is tired and he is weary. We see him in his humanity. And he is tired physically. There is a weariness that is physical that he is experiencing. Um, he was in the area of Jerusalem and Judea, and he is making his way to Galilee. And he's about halfway in the area of Samaria in a town called Sychar. It's about 120 kilometers in a straight shot between Jerusalem and Galilee where he's going. 
about a halfway mark, Sikar, about 60 kilometers, he would have been walking, this is about the second day of his journey, it's usually about a four-day journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. He's made that journey before as he traveled to Cana for the wedding. And so he would have walked 30 kilometers the day before, probably finishing up his walk for the day, another 30 kilometers. From sunrise to midday, finding himself now at this well at Sikar. Now, I don't know if you, if you've ever been, you know, really physically exhausted. I've had an opportunity a couple of times in my life. I ran a half marathon once with no training because my sister signed me up and um, I wanted to bail on her at the last minute, but, you know, being the um, amazing big brother that I am, I decided to run with her. And so with zero training and actually carrying about 20 more pounds than I did, after almost three hours, um, it was all that I could do but not collapse after I crossed the finish line. I also had the opportunity to ride, um, ride my bicycle from um, across Ontario and Quebec. Uh, and there was this one portion, this one day, where we had to do about 130, 140 kilometers from Richmond Hill to Coburg um, in one day, in one shot. And let me tell you, when I got to Coburg, it's like nothing else mattered. The only thing that mattered was the spot that I would drop in and lay down and sleep because I was just physically spent, exhausted. And here's Jesus similarly sitting at the edge of the well, physically wearied, but also mentally and emotionally weary. You recall that we've met party Jesus, right? Remember party Jesus at the, the wedding in Cana where he changes water into wine? where he's having fun, getting his groove on, and what happens, right? His mom sidles up to him and says, hey, can you, can you, do, can you do this thing? Can you, can you change some water into wine? And he's like, woman, you're crapping my style. Emotional, mental exhaustion on the part of Jesus. But more seriously, he's at, we've met angry Jesus as well. Angry Jesus at the temple and he sees the injustice that is happening. He sees that the Gentiles are being excluded from worship. And in his righteous anger, he turns the tables of the money changers over and he ushers everyone out of the temple court. It's emotionally and mentally exhausting to be Jesus. We've met philosopher Jesus who met with Nicodemus in the dead of night. He, the teacher of the Pharisees, the Pharisee of Pharisees, he who ought to know who Jesus is, but comes with these questions. And Jesus is in tenderness and his compassion speaks with Nicodemus to teach him. And last week we encountered grieving Jesus, who at the news of the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, his best friend, removed himself to a place of quiet so that he could he could grieve, he could unpack some of that mental and emotional weariness that he had, only to come back to have the crowds waiting for him and then having compassion, looking upon them and said, I am here for you. Jesus' weariness is physical, his weariness is mental and emotional, but more than that, his weariness is metaphysical, it is spiritual, it is the weariness of the incarnation. The book of John tells us that the word, the Logos, Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, Jesus, 
who enjoyed perfect communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity, who was taken from the bosom of his Father and placed in the womb of Mary and traveled every road that he did for us here in the world. God became man for us. But more than that, even, he came into the brokenness and the mess of our world. He experienced, perhaps for the first time, what it meant to be in broken relationships, maybe what it means to be betrayed by a friend, what it means to feel the effects of sin in the world firsthand. We have a Jesus who is weary physically. He is weary mentally and emotionally. He is wearied spiritually. St. Augustine says this. He says that Christ's journey is the flesh assumed for us. God taking on flesh for our sake. That is the journey that has wearied Christ. His journey to the well was at the sixth hour. It was at the height of the noonday sun. And Jesus sits there weary. He sits there exhausted. He sits there and he rests and he waits. He is thirsty. He is hungry. He has nothing to draw water from, but he sits at this well and he waits because he knows he has a job to do. He knows that he's there for a reason, that his work will not be done until ultimately his journey takes him to the cross also at the sixth hour. Where Pilate washed his hands before the tranting crowd saying crucify him, crucify him. Where he is stripped and he is sapped, where he is beaten, where he is berated, where he is paraded through the streets carrying the cross upon which he would soon be crucified. Where he is pummeled by the disappointment and the derision of the very people he came to save. Anticipating the hour that he would bear the crushing burden of the sin of the world upon his own shoulders and the separation from his father, something he had never experienced. We have this picture at the well and at the cross of a suffering Christ, of a weary Christ. And if you look through the ages, how many... um, People have commissioned uh, great works of art. We see it in the media, depicted in all sorts of places. A suffering Christ on the cross, head head hung down. Jesus suffering and weary. We see this picture, but it is not the complete picture. It is not the whole story. For Christ at the well and Christ at the cross He is at the same time overcome, but overcoming. He is at the same moment tired, but tireless in doing the will of his Father. In both these moments, it is in Christ's weakness that we recognize his true strength. Because it is not without purpose, my friends, that the power of God should suffer fatigue. It is not without purpose that he who refreshes the weary is himself wearied. It is not without purpose that he is wearied, whose absence makes us weary and whose presence makes us strong. 
It is not without purpose that Jesus sits and waits at the well. You see, he has fashioned us by his strength. If you look at the words of Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus fashioned us by his strength, but he seeks us by his weakness. Again, the words in Hebrews, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Christ fashioned us by his strength and he seeks us by his weakness. The strength of Christ created us and the weakness of Christ creates us anew. The weakness of Christ creates us anew. This is the paradox of Christ, that he is at once weak and strong. Christ upon the cross, the defining moment of his utter weakness, the defining moment at the same time of his unmitigated strength. He is weak, yes, in his weariness. He is weak in his humanity. He is weak in his resolve, as we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he kneels and he prays with blood sweating from his brow, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. But we see Jesus strong, strong in his restraint. Could he, who created the heavens and the earth, him through whom, through, through whom all things were made, through whom without, without him was not anything made that was made, could he not, fully God, fully man, have commanded the legions of angels to come to save him, to remove him from the cross, and yet, the strength of his restraint is shown fully in that instance. He is strong in his will to obey the Father and to do his work. Jesus, obedient unto death, even death on a cross, saw it coming from day one, but followed through to the very bitter end. Strong in his will to obey, strong in his might to save. You and I sit here today because of that strength of Christ. And he is seeking you also by his weakness. So we find Jesus at Jacob's well. It is not without purpose that Jesus sits there waiting, weak and weary. It's not just because he's tired. It's not just because he's thirsty. It's not just because he's hungry. The scripture says that he tells us that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Not true. 
He didn't have to pass through Samaria. He could have diverted around Samaria, which is which every other Orthodox Jew would do because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. So it's very regularly people who travel from Jerusalem, Jews who travel from Jerusalem to Galilee would go the long way and completely avoid Samaria. Yet Jesus had to walk through the area of Samaria. Why? Whenever this is used in the Gospel of John, it usually connotes a, a divine necessity, that there was something that Jesus had to do, something that the Father desired for Christ to accomplish. You, would say, you could say that Jesus put the divine in divine appointment. He was there, and he's waiting, but he is not simply waiting, he is waiting for he is waiting for. Jesus isn't only thirsting for water. He is thirsting now for the faith of this Samaritan woman who we meet at the well. If you're not familiar with the story, I would encourage you to maybe go home this, um, this afternoon and read it for yourselves. John chapter four, verses one to 26, or maybe even one to 30. But if you read it and you know the story, you will see that Jesus treats her with gentleness and he treats her with kindness and he treats her with compassion. He has these words for her that draws her near, that says, come. He has these words for her that diagnoses her deepest need, this need for living water in her life. He has words, these kind words that divulge her sin and words that disclose his identity as the Messiah, words that direct her to the Father. This is the experience of the woman with Jesus, gentleness, tenderness, kindness, compassion. And friends, the experience of the woman is not hers alone. Her experience is our experience. The experience of the woman is our experience. Listen to the words of Hans von Balthasar. He says this, to be sure, Jesus addresses a particular Samaritan woman at the well. But at the same time, in her, he also addresses every sinner, woman or man. That's us. When Jesus sits tired at the well's edge, it is not for this one person alone. Therefore, it is not a mere pious exercise when in spirit I put myself beside this woman and enter into her role. Not only may I play this part, I must play it. For I have long been involved in this dialogue without being consulted. I am this dried up soul running after the earthly water every day because it has lost its grasp of the heavenly water it is really seeking. Like her, I give the same obtuse, groping response to the offer of the eternal wellspring. And in the end, like her, I have to be pierced by the word as it rings from me, the confession of sin. Friends, the experience of the woman is our experience. Being pierced by the word is a necessity. But more than that, the way of Christ with this woman is the way of Christ with us. What is Jesus doing here? 
He is inviting her in. He's saying, come into my sphere. Let me minister to you. He has come to this well, seeking her out. He, his heart goes out to her. He looks upon her with compassion the same way he has looked upon so many before her. And he says, come, come unto me. As a teacher would woo a student, as a lover, his beloved, he is saying, come, come. The words of Matthew eleven twenty eight come to mind. Come unto me, you are who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. These are the words of Christ for you, for me, for us. Because friends, Jesus waits for you at the well. Jesus waits for you at the well. He thirsts for you. He longs for your faith. He longs for you to commune with him, to have this living water. He has made the journey of the incarnation from being God to being made man, and he beckons you to come, come to him. He is waiting for you at the well. Jesus' first word in the Gospel of John is the word come, as he invites people to journey with him, the disciples. But Jesus himself is the well. Jesus himself is the well. He is the source of life that won't run dry. He is the gathering place where souls are quenched and satisfied. And so I ask you this afternoon, have you lost touch? Is your soul thirsty and dry? Do you long for this living water in your own life? Do you even know where to find that well? My friends, I will tell you, at times you will seek him yourself, weary and heavy laden. You will call out to him in the depths of your despair, and he will call out to you in the depths of his love, saying, here, come, look upon my son who was pierced for you. He waits for you. He calls to you. Will you not come to him? When I think about this picture of of. God beckoning and Christ waiting, I, think of, I usually think of my, my wife, my saintly wife. She used to wake up at four in the morning um, when we were living in the UAE, and she would um, go to the rooftop uh, by herself before the sun even arose, and she would spend hours there just kneeling before God in her own brokenness, in her need, as she went to meet with him, and, Je- uh, and Jesus would without fail, meet with her. And she would come back from these encounters and and she would like, her face would be shining like that of Moses from Mount Sinai. That's what she looked like to me. If you go seeking for him, he will come and he will meet with you. Sometimes you will seek him, yourself weary and heavenly laden, and sometimes you will stumble upon him, stumble upon him unawares. You won't even be looking and he will be there for you. When I think about this, I think about where we were living and the many um, stories that we heard of Jesus Christ himself showing up in dreams and visions to those who did not even know that they were seeking him, um, disclosing his identity to them as the Messiah, saying, won't you come to me? I am calling you 
Sometimes you look for him and you'll find him. Sometimes you won't even be looking and he will come to you. I've asked Andy and the team to play a song in response to all that we've heard today. This is a song that um, you don't have to sing along with. You can if you want, but you don't have to. This song is really an invitation for you to meet with Jesus where he is waiting for you. Perhaps today you are like this woman at the well and you are longing for living water. You've never tasted it and you're excited that Jesus is waiting for you at the well. Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe you need to believe in him, to place your active trust in him. If that is you, I invite you to come at the end of the service. We'll have pastors and elders here waiting for you to pray with you. But if you need to say yes to Jesus, will you come and meet with him here? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, but maybe today you sit here, your soul is dry and thirsty, and you wonder, have I lost touch with that well? Where do I get back to that living water? How did I stray so far? I would say to you today, come, come as you are. Be yourself before God. Stop running. Stop hiding. Stop striving. Stop delaying. Stop making excuses. Jesus is beckoning you to come. So will you not come to the well where he waits for you? to receive living water again, to drink deeply from that fountain. Maybe you have a great relationship with Jesus. Maybe you encounter him all the time. Maybe what you need to do today is to be waiting at the well for someone, to play the role of Christ to someone, either through prayer, through your presence, through the things that you do or say. Maybe that's you. Everyone in this room has something to respond to as Jesus waits for you at the well. So as we respond together, will you pray with me? Father, your love is deep and it surpasses our understanding that you would come in the flesh, Jesus, to walk this road this weary, exhausting road for us to draw us near to you, to give us this living water. Because in you, in light, in you is life, and that life was the light of men. We praise you, Father, for your goodness. Would you speak to us mightily now, Lord God? Just unstop our ears, open our eyes that we might see you face to face. Turn your face, Lord, towards us now. As we come to meet Jesus at the well. In Christ's name we pray.